and that overall service fees were never reduced, adding that affected workers would be compensated. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. Welcome to Monday. This is Money Talk on Radio 3 for the 17th of October. Peter Lewis here with the business headlines. China's ruling Communist Party opened its 20th National Congress yesterday, during which President Xi Jinping is expected to be given a historic third five-year term. The roughly week-long Congress will take place with around 2,300 delegates, which will elect various leaders, including the seven members of China's top decision-making body, the Politburo Standing Committee. President Xi kicked off the Congress with a two-hour wide-ranging speech in which he telegraphed key policy priorities for the next five years and outlined the government's foreign policy, economic goals and military ambitions. In his speech, he said China will pursue its common prosperity policy, which was introduced last year, and led to crackdowns on big tech and the real estate sectors. The president said we will improve the system of income distribution, we will ensure more pay for more work and encourage people to achieve prosperity through hard work. We will keep income income distribution and the means of accumulating wealth well regulated, he said. There was also no sign that the zero COVID policy would be relaxed. He said we put the people and their lives above all else. On the economy, he said high quality development is the top priority of building a socialist modern country with a solid material and technology foundation, suggesting no real departure from the country's economic goals. And China's tech crackdown, which has raised more than $1 trillion in combined market value from the tech sector, was also mentioned. President Xi said in order to enhance the innovation capacity, China will move faster to launch a number of major national projects that are of strategic, big picture and long-term importance. And he called for self-reliance on technology. On today's Money Talk, we will take a closer look at President Xi's speech with Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Andrew Collier from Orient Capital Research. With a view from mainland China is Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. On Wall Street, stocks closed broadly lower Friday at the end of a volatile week. The S&P 500 shed 2.4% to 3,583, its seventh negative close in eight days. For the week, it was down 1.6%. The Dow fell 404 points, or 1.3%, to end the day at 29,635. Still, the index was up 1.2% on the week. The Nasdaq Composite slipped 3.1% to 10,321, and for the week, it lost 3.1%. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index was down 0.1% over the week. London's FTSE 100 declined 1.9% over the five sessions. Hong Kong stocks rebounded Friday after six days of declines, which took them to near a 13-year low. The Hang Seng Index rose 199 points, or 1.2%, to 16,588. For the week, it tumbled 6.5%, taking its losses for 2022 so far to over 29%. The 
The tech index rebounded 1.5%, but was still 9.4% lower over the week and is down 43.5% year-to-date. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index climbed 1.8% to 3,072, extending its gains for the week to 1.6%. However, for the year so far, it's suffered a decline of 15.6%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude settled 3.1% lower, notching a 6.4% loss for the week. And this morning, it's trading at $92.35 a barrel. Copper rose 0.7% over the last five trading days. Gold was down 3.1% in its worst week since July. And it's trading at $1,647 an ounce this morning. Bond yields climbed with the rate on the 10-year U.S. Treasury topping 4% for the second time in two days as investors reacted to higher inflation expectations. The 10-year yield jumped seven basis points to 4.02%. In the UK, Prime Minister Liz Truss has sacked her finance minister and reversed a planned freeze on corporation tax in the latest U-turn on her fiscal policies, which were announced only three weeks ago. The 30-year gilt yield swung widely in a large 60 basis point range, sinking to as low as 4.24%. However, after the Prime Minister's press conference, the yield surged to end the day 27 basis points higher at 4.81%. That's well above the 3.8% level of just before last month's budget. The US dollar rallied for a second straight week in a volatile five days of trading. The US dollar index climbed 0.7% Friday to leave it half a percent higher on the week. The Japanese yen has been down eight days in a row and down nine weeks in a row. It slumped another 1% Friday to its weakest against the dollar since 1990. And this morning, it's trading at 148.61 versus the dollar. Sterling traded in a wide range during another dramatic week. The pound ended Friday 1.4% lower. This morning, it's at $1.12.5 and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 83 cents. The euro is at 97.5 cents. The Chinese yuan was over 1% lower on the week and um, it's sliding again in offshore markets this morning. Uh, It's currently at 7.21 and a half. And Bitcoin dropped 2% on the week to $19,200. And if we look around Asia-Pacific stock markets, at the open this morning, once again, a sea of red, the SX200 in Australia off 1.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down 1.2%. The Cosby in South Korea is off over 1%. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 200 points lower this morning at around 16,400. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us in our Queensway studio our regular Monday commentator, Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And on the phone, we should find Andrew Collier, who's managing director of Orient Capital Research. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, Peter. Uh, let's start then with President Xi Jinping's speech, and in particular, uh, some of the things he talked about um, on the economy. He basically said uh, high-quality development is the top priority of building a socialist modern country in all aspects. 
And he said development is the party's top priority uh, in governing. He said Chinese-style moder moderation has shattered the legend that modernization can only be achieved by sticking to capitalism. Um, Alex, do you, do you think in this, uh, in this speech, it was two hours long, do you think he acknowledged enough the economic challenges which are facing China in his um, second decade in power? Well, I think he basically uh, maintained the current uh, stance. I think uh, that is not enough uh, for the market. First of all, we are looking for some relaxation in the COVID restrictions. Mm -hmm. And then also, I think, uh, secondly, I think uh, he reiterated the, the common prosperity theme. So that means uh, probably the income distribution would be more tilted towards the labor side. And I don't think that is a good sign. And then... Um, Thirdly, I think uh, uh, the reiterated uh, properly, uh, China would, would look um, would emphasize the development of high-end manufacturing, but I think uh, the challenge would be uh, from the um, U.S. So uh, that probably may still be a very big challenge. So overall, I think the market probably may not be excited by his speech. So we're already seeing the yuan slide in offshore markets following that speech. Are you expecting a similar thing once stocks open? They're going to investors haven't really heard what they wanted to hear. Uh, I think uh, the the market probably would edge lower a little bit, but not too much because we have been very bearish uh, for quite some time and market probably has not built into any expectations. So uh, uh, it would be edging lower in low volume. Uh, so um, probably continue recent trend. Andrew, where do you think um, economic growth now fits in, in China's priority? Is it President Xi's number one priority above all else? Or do you think um, economic growth now is rather being downgraded for, uh, for, for other things? I, I, don't, I don't think it's being downgraded for policy reasons. It's being downgraded because they've basically reached the end of the line in terms of debt fueled growth. So he's he's facing fewer choices of what he can do. And so he's trying to paint a picture of equality of income and distribution as a way to sort of uh, cover up the fact that the China is really at the end of, uh, of a period of sustained economic growth. And uh, he's trying to make the best of a bad situation. So he mentioned once, I think, common prosperity um, in the speech. So you think that's still going to be a top priority for his administration? Well, it's a meaningless term. It's basically a populist slogan, similar mm -hmm. to what Donald Trump used to do in the United States, uh, because he's failing to make the significant changes in the structure of the tax system in China or the fiscal distribution of wealth between the provinces and the center that would uh, be able to achieve the economic uh, the distribution of income that he's looking at. So I, I consider the whole thing to basically to be a chimerical uh, uh, populist slogan. And there wasn't really any talk about how to reduce the country's dependency on investment, which is now very, very high compared to other countries, and try and switch more towards uh, consumption. I didn't really hear even an acknowledgement of that being an issue. Yes. I mean, that speech basically, as, as Alex is saying, did not break any new ground. Uh, the most significant thing, I think, was that it was half as long as a speech five years ago in, the, in, the, uh, in 2017, which suggests that he's now uh, didn't have to cut a lot of deals politically, which meant that his power is definitely solidified. Uh, that's a bit surprising because given the COVID situation and, and the crackdown on the tech sector, a lot of uh, wealthy elites and financially politically powerful people have been impacted by all of this. Uh, but clearly the speech indicated that he's quite much in control. But in terms of other issues like common prosperity or the economic growth and the rest, it didn't really break new ground. Mm. 
Alex, on the zero COVID policy, this is what he said. He's, um, it's, it's been a cornerstone of his leadership. He said, we put the people and their lives above all else. We have protected the people's health and safety to the greatest extent possible and made tremendously encouraging achievements in both epidemic response and economic and social development. It doesn't seem um, that there's any sign that that's going to be relaxed. Yes, that's, that's right. So that's, I think the market will dis- people will be disappointed. I've, uh, I think um, eventually China, of course, will reopen, but uh, that I think um, maybe um, several months later at least. So uh, that I think uh, would be uh, much disappointed by the market. It was also notable for a couple of things on the economy he didn't mention. Uh, He didn't mention the property crisis um, and what was going to be done um, about that. And also he didn't talk about um, youth unemployment. Nearly one in five young people under the age of 24 um, are unemployed. That seems to be a big issue to me, but it it didn't get any mention. Were you surprised? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, he probably just try to minimize the impact of the public crisis so um, he 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 know that uh, i think uh, he know that uh, china cannot um, continue its uh, uh, old model that uh, the, the public the public market is supported by that so um so probably he he knows that the, the the trend may not be cannot be reversed so just try to minimize it so he did not mention that and also i think for the youth and unemployment situation in china that is a very big challenge right now because um, very likely we will see um the business sentiment to remain in in those terms so i i think uh, probably um uh, the the youth and unemployment situation will remain very bad Andrew, what what are your thoughts on the zero covid policy was there any acknowledgement at all when he was talking about zero COVID of the sort of social and economic pain that it's, it's causing? No, I mean, she's basically went back to his playbook. He, he's very concerned with financial stability, which means that he doesn't want to increase the debt bubble. The, the COVID policy is, if, if reversed, could lead to thousands, if not millions of deaths, and that would threaten the existence of the party. So he basically doesn't um, isn't backing away from any of his policies. And China's in for a rough road going into 2023, and now we have the uh, economic sanctions from the United States, which is really going to be a problem. So I feel, in some ways, sorry for him. It's a very difficult position. And, and on the two big economic challenges, the uh, the slump in the property market and on youth unemployment, which which seems to me a very big issue, there was there was no uh, discussion about that at all. Well, Alex is right. These are the third rails of his uh, of his uh, tenure. Uh, basically, the uh, un- youth unemployment is a huge problem, and he's probably very nervous about that. And in terms of the property sector, it, it, they, the uh, political people in Beijing made it pretty clear that it's up to the provinces and the sub-provinces to solve that. He's essentially washed his hands of a lot of that, apart from a few central government uh, injections through various means. But in fact, the local governments are relying on shadow banks in the trusts and the local government financing vehicles for uh, short-term cash, which is a, a real problem because that ends up being back at the banks. Uh, but he's basically said, okay, look, you, you provinces, you kind of started all this, so you're going to have to solve all this. I can't deal with this. Mm. Alex, there was one issue that he did mention, and that's China's low birth rates. Birth mm-hmm. rates are set to fall to record lows this year, falling below 10 million, um, in fact. And uh, the fertility rate uh, is one of the lowest in the world. He said, we will establish a policy system to boost birth rates and pursue a proactive national strategy in response to population ageing. What do you think that means? What can be done? 
Oh, it's very difficult. First of all, you have to get people married. So uh, marriage rate also get lower <laughs> in China. So uh, there's very little um, the policymakers can make. I think also the situation is due to the hard life in the cities. So I think uh, it, it, can, it is very difficult for the government to do. Maybe uh, they, they probably could deliver some incentives uh, to, to families, but I think uh, that would still be very hard. Andrew, why, why don't Chinese people want to get married and have children, or certainly not at the same rate that they used to? Uh, well, I think the, the, the economic opportunities are much more limited than they used to be. Uh, property is difficult, so you can, it's hard to set up a, a formal household. And um, uh, the political situation is so unstable that a lot of people are just nervous. And also the relationship between men and women and the economic opportunities for women are limited. So there's a lot of reasons for that. So what can the government do to actually encourage people to have more children? What, what's, they've already done things like tax deductions, longer maternity leave, uh, housing subsidies. What more can they do? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think that economically, China has got to have to go through some period of uh, instability before they can maybe reach a period of growth, possibly through forced reform, and then people may get optimistic again. I don't know what the short-term solutions are. Mm. Let me ask you both about the tech sector. Um, as we know, China's tech crackdown, it's raised more than $1 trillion uh, from Chinese tech stocks around the world. President Xi said in order to enhance the innovation capacity, China will move faster to launch a number of major national projects that have strategic big picture and long term importance. And he emphasized calls for self-reliance in technology. I think, Alex, it's fair to say China's facing a big challenge at the moment, isn't it, with the U.S. crackdown on exports of, of advanced technology. What can it do? Yeah, I think uh, what he's addressing is uh, on the hardware side or it's not on the platform side or the software side. So uh, that is a really big challenge for China right now because of the U.S. sanctions uh, on, on, the, on the exports. So very likely, I think, uh, they, they would try to... Uh, put a lot of investment on the hardware development uh, in China, so probably people wouldn't focus more on hardware because uh, on the software side, on the platform side, I think uh, China is already quite advanced. So uh, the, the, the stress would be on the hardware side, but that would be complicated by the U.S. sanctions. I mean, he talked a lot about national self-sufficiency, especially in tech. Is that a sign that a lot more investment is going to be made um, in that sector? Yeah, but... Uh, just not be confused that we are not talking about Alibaba or Tencent, that kind of platform. We are talking about semiconductors, uh, maybe. Yeah. And are, so are there some investment opportunities in those sectors? Uh, I think uh, this would be quite difficult because with the US sanctions, uh, the advancement would be very slow. Mm. And Andrew, a lot of talk about self-reliance, but obviously um, th th these US sanctions, I think, are striking a big blow, aren't they? significant. Uh, it cripples much of their the modern technology, which is Xi's focus. Uh, but bear in mind that the government for the last five years has uh, targeted one trillion U.S. dollars of investment. Not all of that money has been raised, and a lot of it's coming from the private sector. And much of that funds already have been squandered. We've seen uh, Beijing uh, Tsinghua Uni Group has collapsed, and a bunch of sub, uh, provincial semiconductor firms have collapsed. So there's not a lot of wriggle room for further investment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but they're going to have to do that, or she's going to have to back down and start making conciliatory statements uh, to the West in order to get back in the good graces to get equipment from, um, you know, from the design 
firms in, in uh, the Dutch design firms and the U.S. design firms. And I think that's what he may have to do in the end. Okay, Alex, I just want to get a couple of thoughts on the markets before you go. First of all, on Hong Kong stocks. Um, once again, another really bad week, down over 6%. Any sign of a bottom yet? Not yet. I think uh, sentiment is really bad, and I think uh, the, the sentiment is, is worsened by the U.S. sanctions. You can see um, those firms which are related to AI actually are, are more um, bearish than others. So I think uh, we're likely we will try to continue to find the bottom. So uh, just not try to pick, uh, try to guess the bottom right now. Andrew, any thoughts on uh, on the poor for p- performance of Hong Kong stocks over the last few weeks? Well, at some point, we're going to see a lot of capital uh, uh, relisting from the United States into Hong Kong, and then I think a lot of capital will flow back into the markets, pr- primarily from the mainland. That will be positive for Hong Kong in the short term, uh, over a year or two. So I, I expect that into 2023. The issue is whether the rule of law will be sufficiently um, welcome that these companies will be able to attract global capital. Okay, well, thank you both very much for your thoughts there. We heard Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company, and Andrew Collier, who is the managing director of Orient Capital Research. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Do you like great music from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s? Don't believe me, just watch. And right up to today. got something for you from every era. This is James Ross with the greatest hits of music. Something for Saturday evening. Join me after the six o'clock news right here on Radio 3. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.24 on the phone from Shanghai is independent economist Andy Sher. Morning, Andy. Good morning, Peter. Um, now, I don't know if you spent your Sunday listening to President Xi's speech yesterday, two hours long, and uh, uh, that's a, a shortened version of what was probably a, a three-hour uh, talk. Did you get any impression on the economy, first of all, that there's any change of direction at all or any change in priorities? Uh, not really. I think this is a long, very long uh, uh, summary of what what has been uh, talked about in the past uh, a few years. So I, 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 an event like that that doesn't spring surprise upon you. But he sort of spent some time talking about things like common prosperity. Uh, he mentioned the zero COVID policy. Do you, do you think he acknowledged the, the challenges that China is facing economically? Because he's going to enter his second de- decade in power with some very big economic challenges, isn't he? Do, is, do you think he's, he's aware yeah. and, uh, and acknowledged enough those challenges? Yeah, I think that the, uh, the emphasis is... Uh, is that uh, there are other higher priorities uh, than the economy? Uh, you know, it's uh, both in the speech as well as uh, long uh, as been long talked about. One is uh, reasserting parties' control over all aspects of the economy and the society, uh, and that uh, achievement was uh, was glorified to, uh, during uh, in the speech. And uh, the the other is national security, uh, and uh, the the rivalry with the government is uh, sh- uh, is shaping 
both the the, uh, the national uh, policy as well as people's lives. I so I think that the uh, the the economy is uh, not uh, 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 such a higher priority. I think that the uh, the government will handle things only when uh, you have to. Like uh, some companies going bankrupt and on, and uh, you know something is happening. So it's 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 kind of like that. I do not see a systematic, uh, systematic policy change to uh, handle the uh, the difficulties and uh, or to revive the economy. You you mentioned the tightened grip of the state and the party. How is that going to affect business opportunities in China? Does it mean that, for example, we're going to see more polarization between state-owned firms and private firms? And is it going to affect uh, the ability of companies to to develop and be entrepreneurial? Yeah, I, I think that uh, first is that the uh, the economic uh, situation is not so good. You you look at uh, uh, just uh, go out and walk on the streets and you see boarded up shop fronts and uh, it's like it has never happened over the last three decades. And uh, obviously, zero COVID is 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 uh, really has having a huge impact on 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 the service sector. So I I, I think that. The, uh, <clears throat> Uh, it, it, it's a very difficult situation for a private business. You look at the stock market; it's going down and down and down. To reflect that uh, uh, both the uh, the how difficult the operating environment is, as well as uh, the expectation uh, that in the future things are not going to improve. For for people on the streets that you meet and talk to, are, are they unhappy with this zero COVID policy? Is their unhappiness increasing at all over it? Well, we cannot do a national survey on how people view that, but uh, you you can see that uh, most uh, people are not scared of the virus anymore because most people, Chinese people, most uh, mostly are pretty clever. They know that uh, that uh, it's not as serious as before, and other people uh, in people in other countries uh, don't 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 uh, really take it serious anymore. So the the uh, the that's uh, I I I hear that it's uh, that kind of a view is. Pretty widespread, and uh, the uh, as far as uh, the, the the negative side, the the impact. Uh, obviously, people in in uh, they they go to work, they they can see their wages go down, uh, bonuses are gone, and so, and uh, and and uh, the the price uh, things are becoming more expensive, and people buying less. You mm. go to the supermarket, and it's 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 hard to see how. Expensive things are, you know. It's uh, considering that every day uh, that disposable income is is about a hundred ten RMB per day. You look at mm. the 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 prices. It's 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 harder to imagine how people get by. And he mentioned a lot about self sufficiency, particularly in the tech sector. Um, how much is China suffering from these latest sanctions from from the U.S. on tech exports? Well, I think that uh, it's slowing down Chinese companies. It's really these kind of exports are only uh, against Chinese companies. But the foreign companies that are producing in China, uh, they're not being affected. And 70% of Chinese exports uh, are from foreign-owned companies. And Chinese exports are rising and is the only bright spot in the Chinese economy. So I think the short-term impact is not so big. It's really about slowing down Chinese companies. 
Okay, Andy. Well, thank you for your thoughts there. That's um, Andy Sher, who is an independence-based economist up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning in Australia. The SX200 is off one and one point six percent. The Nikkei two two five in Japan down one and a half percent. The Cosby in South Korea off over one percent, and looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about uh, two hundred and twenty points at the open, starting the day at sixteen thousand three hundred and seventy. That's close to a thirteen-year low. I'll be back tomorrow morning at eight o'clock with more analysis of the business and financial world on Money Talk. Coming up after the news. Back chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two showers. Maximum temperature is about 29 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be windy with showers in the next couple of days. There is the standby signal number one is in force. The red fire danger warning also in force. 27 degrees right now, 46% relative humidity. Time's 8.31. Here's Ben Che with the Half Hour News. The observatory says it'll issue the strong wind signal number three between 10 a.m. and noon, as tropical cyclone Nisat has intensified over the past few hours. It's said, according to its present track, the storm will be closest to Hong Kong during the day. The observatory said winds are also expected to strengthen during the day under the effects of Nisat and the northeast monsoon. The standby signal number one is currently in force. The German couple behind the successful Pfizer-BioNTech COVID jabs say cancer vaccines could be available to patients by the end of the decade. Professors Yugor Sahin and Uzlem Turji say the use of mRNA technology during the coronavirus pandemic helped to accelerate their work. The COVID-19 vaccine and our experience in developing it gives back to our cancer work. We have learned how to better, faster manufacture vaccines. We have learned about how the immune system reacts towards mRNA. BioNTech's cancer trials started long before the pandemic and have shown some early encouraging signs. But the scientists were hesitant to say the vaccines would definitely be a cure for cancer. Health authorities say Hong Kong added 5,564 new COVID cases yesterday, of which 385 involved arrivals from outside the SAR. Five more people infected with the coronavirus have died. Meanwhile, Cathay Pacific said flight crew will be given an option that spares them from being restricted by an amber code on their vaccine pass. Ada Al reports. In an internal memo, the airline said their cabin and cockpit crew members can opt to wait for their PCR test results at the airport. If they test negative, they will receive a blue vaccine passcode. However, crew members who receive the blue code are required to conduct daily PCR tests for four days. People arriving in Hong Kong are currently allowed to leave the airport right after having their saliva samples taken for PCR tests, but they will receive an amber code that bans them from entering some venues, such as restaurants, for three days. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. And good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the return of live music to bars and clubs after more than two years, with performances allowed to resume from this Thursday. 
The musicians will have to take regular COVID tests, including presenting a negative uh, rapid test result at the venue on the day of the performance. They must uh, keep uh, masks on uh, where possible and maintain a distance from the audience. Bar operators have welcomed the move, with some predicting as much as a 30% boost in business ahead of the Halloween and World Cup peak seasons. There are warnings, though, that it may take some time to get bands back together and the testing requirements may prove a 